Chapter 24 of The Deluge, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Deluge, Volume 2, by Henrik Sienkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin, 1835-1906. Chapter 24. Kmichitz's next report came from Sokolka and was brief. The prince, to mislead our troops, has feigned a march towards Stuchin, whither he has sent a party. He has gone himself with his main force to Yanov, and has received there a reinforcement of infantry, led by Captain Kiritz, eight hundred good men. From the place where we are, the prince's fires are visible. In Yanov he intends to rest one week. The prisoners say that he is ready for battle. The fever is shaking him continually. On receipt of this statement, Sapieha, leaving the remainder of his cannon and wagons, moved on with cavalry to Sokolka, and at last the two armies stood eye to eye. It was foreseen, too, that a battle was unavoidable, for on one side they could flee no longer, the others pursuing. Meanwhile, like wrestlers who after a long chase are to seize each other by the bodies, they lay opposite each other, catching breath in their panting throats and resting. When the hetman saw Kmichitz, he seized him by the shoulders and said, I was angry with you for not giving an account of yourself for so long, but I see that you have accomplished more than I could hope for, and if God gives victory, not mine, but yours will be the merit. You went like an angel guardian after Boguslav. An ill-omened light gleamed in Kmichitz's eyes. If I am his angel guardian, I must be present at his death. God will order that, said the hetman seriously. But if you wish the Lord to bless you, then pursue the enemy of the country, not your own. Kmichitz bowed in silence but it could not be learned whether the beautiful words of the hetman made any impression on him. His face expressed implacable hatred, and was the more threatening that the toil of pursuit after Boguslav had emaciated it still more. Formerly in that countenance was depicted only daring and insolent wildness. Now it had become also stern and inexorable. You could easily see that he against whom that man had recorded vengeance in his soul ought to guard himself, even if he were Rajivil. He had, in truth, avenged himself terribly. The services he had rendered in that campaign were immense. By pushing himself in front of Boguslav, he had beaten him from the road, had made his reckoning false, had fixed in him the conviction that he was surrounded, and had forced him to retreat. Further, he went before him night and day. He destroyed scouting parties. He was without mercy for prisoners. In Siemiatice, in Botsky, in Orel and Bielsk, he had fallen in the dark night on the whole camp. In Voishki, not far from Zabludovo, in a purely Rajivil country, he had fallen like a blind hurricane on the quarters of the prince himself, so that Boguslav, who had just sat down to dinner, 
almost fell into his hands, and thanks to Sakovich alone did he take out his head alive. At Białystok, Kmichitz seized the carriages and camp chests of Boguslav. He wearied, weakened, and inflicted hunger on Boguslav's troops. The choice German infantry and Swedish cavalry which the prince had brought with him were like walking skeletons, from wandering, from surprises, from sleeplessness. The mad howling of the Tartars and Kmichitz's volunteers was heard in front of them, at the flanks and in the rear. Scarcely had a wearied soldier closed his eyes when he had to seize his weapons. The farther on, the worse the condition. The small nobility inhabiting those neighbourhoods joined with the Tartars, partly through hatred of the Rajivils of Birji, partly through fear of Kmichitz, for he punished beyond measure those who resisted. His forces increased, therefore, those of Boguslav melted. Besides, Boguslav himself was really ill, and though in the heart of that man care never had its nest long, and though the astrologers, whom he believed blindly, had foretold him in Prussia that his person would meet no harm in that expedition, his ambitions suffered harshly more than once. He, whose name had been repeated with admiration in the Netherlands, on the Rhine, and in France, was beaten every day in those deep forests by an unseen enemy, and overcome without a battle. There was, besides, in that pursuit, such uncommon stubbornness and impetuosity passing the usual measure of war, that Boguslav, with his native quickness, divined after a few days that some inexorable personal enemy was following him. He learned the name Babinich easily, for the whole neighbourhood repeated it, but that name was strange to him. Not less glad would he be to know the person, and on the road in times of pursuit he arranged tens and hundreds of ambushes, always in vain. Babinich was able to avoid traps, and inflicted defeats where they were least expected. At last both armies came to the neighbourhood of Sokolka. Boguslav found there the reinforcement under Kiritz, who, not knowing hitherto where the prince was, went to Yanov, where the fate of Boguslav's expedition was to be decided. Kmichitz closed hermetically all the roads leading from Yanov to Sokolka, Korechin, Kuznitsa, and Suhovola. The neighbouring forests, willow woods, and thickets were occupied by the Tartars. Not a letter could pass, no wagon with provisions could be brought in. Boguslav himself was in a hurry for battle before his last biscuit in Yanov should be eaten. But, as a man of quick wit, trained in every intrigue, he determined to try negotiations first. He did not know yet that Sapieha in this kind of intrigue surpassed him greatly in reasoning and quickness. From Sokolka, then, in Boguslav's name came Pan Sakovich, under-chamberlain and starosta of Oshmiana, the attendant and personal friend of Prince Boguslav, with a letter and authority to conclude peace. This Pan Sakovich was a wealthy man, who reached senatorial dignity later in life, for he became voivode of Smolensk and treasurer of the Grand Principality. He was at that time one of the most noted cavaliers in Lithuania, 
famed equally for bravery and beauty. Pan Sarkovich was of medium stature. The hair of his head and brows was black as a raven's wing, but he had pale blue eyes which gazed with marvellous and unspeakable insolence, so that Boguslav said of him that he stunned with his eyes as with the back of an axe. He wore foreign garments which he brought from journeys made with Boguslav. He spoke nearly all languages. In battle he rushed into the greatest world so madly that among his enemies he was called the doomed man. But thanks to his uncommon strength and presence of mind, he always came out unharmed. It was said that he had strength to stop a carriage in its course by seizing the hind wheel. He could drink beyond measure, could toss off a quart of cream in vodka, and be as sober as if he had taken nothing in his mouth. With men he was morose, haughty, offensive. In Boguslav's hand he was as soft as wax. His manners were polished, and though in the king's chambers he knew how to bear himself, he had a certain wildness in his spirit, which burst forth at times like a flame. Pan Sarkovich was rather a companion than a servant of Boguslav. Boguslav, who in truth had never loved anyone in his life, had an unconquerable weakness for this man. By nature exceedingly sordid, he was generous to Sarkovich alone. By his influence, he raised him to be under-Chamberlain, and had him endowed with the starostaship of Oshmiana. After every battle, Boguslav's first question was, Where is Sarkovich? Has he met with no harm? The prince depended greatly on the starosta's counsels, and employed him in war and in negotiations in which the courage and impudence of Sakovich were very effective. This time he sent him to Sapieha, but the mission was difficult, first because the suspicion might easily fall on the starosta that he had come only to spy out and discover Sapieha's strength, second because the envoy had much to ask and nothing to offer. Happily, Pan Sakovich did not trouble himself with anything. He entered as a victor who comes to dictate terms to the vanquished, and struck Sapieha with his pale eyes. Sapieha smiled when he saw that pride, but half of his smile was compassion. Every man may impose much with daring and impudence. But on people of a certain measure, the hetman was above the measure of Sakovich. My master, Prince in Birji and Dubinki, commander-in-chief of the armies of his princely highness the elector, said Sakovich, has sent me with a greeting, and to ask about the health of your worthiness. Thank the prince, and say that you saw me well. Sapieha took the letter, opened it carelessly enough, read it, and said, Too bad to lose time, I cannot see what the prince wants. Do you surrender, or do you wish to try your fortune? Sakovich feigned astonishment. Whether we surrender? I think that the prince proposes specially in this letter that you surrender. At least my instructions... Of your instructions we will speak later, my dear Pan Sakovich. We have chased you nearly a hundred and fifty miles as a hound does a hare, 
Have you ever heard of a hare proposing to a hound to surrender? We have received reinforcements. Von Kiritz with eight hundred men, and so tired that they will lay down their arms before battle. I will give you Khmelnytsky's saying, there is no time to talk. The elector, with all his power, is with us. That is well. I shall not have far to seek him, for I wish to ask him by what right he sends troops into the Commonwealth, of which he is a vassal, and to which he is bound in loyalty. The right of the strongest. Maybe in Prussia such a right exists, but not with us. But if you are the stronger, take the field. The prince would long since have attacked you were it not for kindred blood. I wonder if that is the only hindrance. The prince wonders at the animosity of the Sapehas against the house of Rajivil, and that your worthiness for private revenge hesitates not to spill the blood of the country. Tfu, cried Kmichitz listening behind the hetman's armchair to the conversation. Pan Sarkovich rose, went to Kmichitz, and struck him with his eyes, but he met his own, or better, and in the eyes of Pan Andrei the starosta found such an answer that he dropped his glance to the floor. The hetman frowned. Take your seat, Pan Sarkovich, and do you preserve calm, turning to Kmichitz. Then he said to Sakovitch, Conscience speaks only the truth, but mouths chew it and spit it into the world as calumny. He who with foreign troops attacks a country inflicts wrong on him who defends it. God hears this, and the heavenly chronicler will inscribe. Through hatred of the Sapiehas to the Rajivils was the Prince Voivoda of Vilna consumed. I hate traitors, not the Rajivils, and the best proof of this is that Prince Mihal Rajivil is in my camp now. Tell me, what is your wish? Your worthiness, I will tell what I have in my heart. He hates who sends secret assassins. Pansapieha was astonished in his turn. I send assassins against Prince Boguslav. That is the case. You have gone mad. The other day they caught, beyond Yanov, a murderer who once made an attack on the life of the prince. Tortures brought him to tell who sent him. A moment of silence followed, but in that silence Pan Sapieha heard how Kmichitz, standing behind him, repeated twice through his set lips, Woe, woe. God is my judge, answered the hetman, with real senatorial dignity, that neither to you nor your prince shall I ever justify myself, for you were not made to be my judges. But do you, instead of loitering, tell directly what you have come for, and what conditions your prince offers. The prince, my lord, has destroyed Horotkevich, has defeated Pan Krzysztof Sapieha, taken Tikotsin, therefore he can justly call himself victor, and ask for considerable advantages. But regretting the loss of Christian blood, he desires to return in quiet to Prussia, requiring nothing more than the freedom of leaving his garrisons in the castles. We have also taken prisoners not a few, 
among whom are distinguished officers, not counting Panana Anusha Borjo Bagati, who has been sent already to Taurogi. These may be exchanged on equal terms. Do not boast of your victories, for my advance guard, led by Pan Babinich here present, pressed you for a hundred and fifty miles. You retreated before it, lost twice as many prisoners as you took previously. You lost wagons, cannon, camp chests. Your army is fatigued, dropping from hunger, has nothing to eat. You know not whither to turn. You have seen my army. I did not ask to have your eyes bound purposely, that you might know whether you are able to measure forces with us. As to that young lady, she is not under my guardianship, but that of Pan Zamoyski and Princess Griselda Vishniewiecki. The prince will reckon with them if he does her any injustice, but speak with wisdom. Otherwise I shall order Pan Babinich to march at once. Sakovich, instead of answering, turned to Kmichitz. Then you are the man who made such onsets on the road? You must have learned your murderous trade under Kmichitz. Learn on your own skin whether I practised well. The hetman again frowned. You have nothing to do here, said he to Sakovich. You may go. Your worthiness, give me at least a letter. Let it be so. Wait at Pan Oskierko's quarters for a letter. Hearing this, Pan Oskierko conducted Sakovich at once to his quarters. The hetman waved his hand as a parting, then he turned to Pan Andrei. Why did you say woe when he spoke of that man whom they seized? asked he, looking quickly and severely into the eyes of the knight. Has hatred so deadened your conscience that you really sent a murderer to the prince? By the most holy lady whom I defended, no, answered Kmichitz. Not through strange hands did I wish to reach his throat. Why did you say woe? Do you know that man? I know him, answered Kmichitz, growing pale from emotion and rage. I sent him from Lvov to Taurogi. Prince Boguslav took Panana Bilevich to Taurogi. I love that lady. We were to marry. I sent that man to get me news of her. She was in such hands. Calm yourself, said the hetman. Have you given him any letters? No. She would not read them. Why? Boguslav told her that I offered to carry away the king. Great are your reasons for hating him. True, your worthiness, true. Does the prince know that man? He knows him. That is the sergeant Soroka. He helped me to carry off Boguslav. I understand, said the hetman. The vengeance of the prince is awaiting him. A moment of silence followed. The prince is in a trap said the hetman after a while. Maybe he will consent to give him up. Let your worthiness, said Kmichitz, detain Sakovich and send me to the prince. Perhaps I may rescue Soroka. Is his fate such a great question for you? An old soldier, an old servant, he carried me in his arms. A multitude of times he has saved my life. God would punish me were I to abandon him in such straits and Kmichitz began to tremble from pity and anxiety. But the hetman said, 
it is no wonder to me that the soldiers love you for you love them i will do what i can i will write to the prince that i will free for him whomever he wishes for that soldier who besides at your command has acted as an innocent agent kmichit seized his head what does he care for prisoners he will not let him go for thirty of them then he will not give him to you he will even attempt your life he would give him for one for sakovich i cannot imprison sakovich he is an envoy detain him and i will go with a letter to the prince perhaps i shall succeed god be with him i will abandon my revenge if he will give me that soldier wait said the hetman i can detain sakovich besides that i will write to the prince to send me a safe conduct without a name the hetman began to write at once an hour later a cossack was galloping with a letter to yanov and toward evening he returned with boguswav's answer i send according to request the safe conduct with which every envoy may return unharmed though it is a wonder to me that your worthiness should ask for a conduct while you have such a hostage as my servant and friend pan sakovich for whom i have so much love that i would give all the offices in my army for him it is known also that envoys are not killed but are usually respected even by wild tartars with whom your worthiness is making war against my christian army now guaranteeing the safety of your envoy by my personal princely word i subscribe myself etc that same evening kmichits took the safe conduct and went with the two kimiliches pan sakovich remained in sokolka as a hostage end of chapter twenty four recording by david granville young